Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. My guest this week is Sheena Sumner. Sheena is an entrepreneur and founder of Wonderlux Travel. Now, Wonderlux is an end-to-end bespoke luxury travel company, which she founded in 2019, which turned out to be difficult timing, as we all know what happened to the travel industry during the pandemic. Now, we discussed this, as well as her career in both the private and public sectors. Sheena was awesome. She's super resilient entrepreneur. For more information on Wonderlux, do head to their website at wonderluxtravel.co.uk. But without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Sheena Sumner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Sheena, let's start with your background. How do you start your career? Okay, I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. So I left school in the late 90s. I'm from Nottingham originally. Based on the time that it was back then, it was that you took options, GCSEs, and then obviously there was the choice to go on to college, university, etc. But I knew from probably the, the latter end of my education in secondary school that I wanted to pursue a career in the leisure and tourism industry. So that was where I'd undertaken my work experience and then my higher education MVQ level was based around just that. I actually worked on a high street in a travel agency for a short period of time, but pretty much as quick as I came into the industry, I I did leave, but only being late teens and not very well travelled by that stage, I wasn't quite sure if travel was for me. But one thing that most people that work in the industry will tell you is that once you leave, you'll always find a a 360 way back. It's a boomerang. Boomerang. Yeah, yeah. So I then pursued a career working in public sector and then a career spanning over 17 years working in the IT industry. So the back end of my career in IT was actually working with hotel chains directly. Some of the leading hotels of the world, they were in essence my clients. And I headed up a team that supported major hotels and retail for their second line support. I would say from around 2015, you know, reaching the director level, I started to kind of think, okay, do I potentially want to do this for, you know, the remainder of my career? Although I climbed the ladder very successfully. I left the role that I was in as being one of the only female directors within the company, which was um, pretty good fate. And um, yeah, I started soul searching from around 2015. And I thought, well, you know, what do I love? And how could I potentially monetize that? And although I left the industry pretty much as quick as I came in, I've always been a lover of travel and been very fortunate to have been able to travel to some of the most amazing places and stay at some of the most amazing hotels in the world. At that stage, I thought, right, okay, let's see if I can potentially go back into the industry. I approached several companies, sent them my CV. And uh, unfortunately, I'd say fortunately now, the feedback that I received was that my CV was amazing. I was very well traveled, that I had just been out of the industry for too long. So to which I thought, well, okay, if the people or companies that I would be sought after, in my opinion, don't want to hire me, then I'll start my own business. So very fortunately, at the back end of 2018, I found a way to set the business up independently. And the first quarter of 2019, I set the business up and Wonderlux went live on April the 1st, 2019. Well, let's introduce Wonderlux. What's the value proposition of Wonderlux? 
So my ethos from the outset, I started the business as a sole trader. So it was just me initially. And my ethos has always been to offer a specialist tailor-made and bespoke travel service. We gear to what I would say would be the luxury end of the market, but it's a, a subject that I love to talk about because how does one define luxury? One person's idea of luxury is so different to the next. So it, it's always been a case of our clients' budgets. We don't discriminate in, in any way, shape or form. So as long as the client's budget and their expectation correlate, we can work with budgets upward of, you know, a few thousand pounds away for a week in the sun in the Mediterranean, bucket and spade, all the way up to clients that are, you know, spending six figures plus we offer a fully tailored service, as I've mentioned, but what one of our key selling points, I, I would think, is our end-to-end concierge service. So it's not just a case of we just book flights, accommodation and our clients' transfers. We can offer services ranging from door-to-door pickup in the UK or America, depending on where those clients are departing from taken to the airport, curbside, fast track through all the way to being taken to their departure gate and then everything that goes in between. So the hotels, transfers and all of our clients' activities and anything that they'd want to do whilst they are in resort. And what do you think the sort of key differentiators of the business are and how do you kind of set yourself up against the competition? Because presumably this is an incredibly competitive Mm -hmm. industry. It is. And I mean, you know, the travel industry in the UK is pretty small overall, and the luxury sector is even smaller. There are a lot of, um, you know, big fish in what would be considered to be a, a small pool. However, I did see a gap in terms of obviously that the current market offering. And, and whilst there are businesses that do offer a similar service, we are led primarily with the concierge element and offering that end-to-end service. So we virtually will take care of as little or as much as our clients want us to do for them. And we're very much service-led because I'm a true believer in that is what people keeps people coming back. Mm-hmm. And you must have to deal with some quite difficult demands, particularly servicing that kind of mm level of client. I wonder what sort of skills that you need to kind of equip yourself with to service that sort of high-end luxury segment. Very much so, but you'd be surprised sometimes because just going back to budgets, and again, it's not an issue for us, but sometimes it can be clients that maybe don't have the larger budget that in some instances can actually be that, you know, that little bit more demanding than those that are spending six figures plus, but it's being resilient, thinking on our feet, Working in travel, being an agent, so to speak, it's not really a nine to five job. You know, there have been instances where we've been called upon Christmas Day, for whatever reason that may be. But for me, I genuinely like to help people and it's a win-win because I'm now doing something that I love and I'm so passionate about to help people create these amazing experiences and memories. And can you give some examples Mm. of said memories? Can you give some examples of the kind of holidays and travel that you provide for your clients? Yes, of course. So we offer a complete global service based on the last couple of years, because having just started the agency in 2019, initially I was primarily focused on long haul. We've now got a team of five people and growing. So each team member do have specific skill sets and areas of specialism. So we 
offer all forms of travel services that includes package holidays, cruise, multi-centres, solo travel, adventure, you know, pretty much you name it, we can do it. We've got clients that will go away from anything ranging from a few days up to five months. We've uh, just recently had some clients that travelled to the Caribbean and ended up extending their holiday to a little over, it was about 27 weeks. Gosh, lucky them. Come the end, yes, very much so. (laughs) I wonder how you think about your business in terms of economic sensitivity, because I would imagine, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that the kind of clients that you're dealing with are not particularly price sensitive. They're not particularly economically sensitive in the Mm. sense that, you know, if there is a downturn, they're pretty well insulated. Would Mm. that be correct or is it more nuanced? You see, so much has changed over a short period of time. The impact that COVID has had, and this isn't necessarily a negative either, you do tend to find sometimes that, you know, with high net worth individuals, because they, you know, they lead such busy lives, they might be busy business owners, CEOs, director level and upward, their schedules may change from week to week to day to day. So, you know, we do find ourselves reacting, which I think sometimes makes it more exciting. One thing we have found over the past 12 months, for example, is inflation and you know pretty much everything going up, including the cost of aviation. Even some of our wealthier clients are taken aback just so slightly by primarily the cost of airfare. Hotels, you know, you would see a, a steady increase year on year, probably somewhere in the region of 10 to 15% increase, which obviously accommodates pay rises for their staff that work in hospitality, etc. But yeah, airfare is probably our biggest challenge at the moment because it has in some instances doubled. Now, you touched on it, but I want us to return to it if we can. COVID, you know, you started your business in 2019. Mm -hmm. 2020 happened after 2019. Mm. I wonder how did the business, which was kind of in its infancy, how did the business react and how did you cope? I made really good headway in the first year and started to amass a nice client base. And considering it was within the first 12 months, turnover was pretty healthy. By the end of January and going into the first two weeks of February, it became evidently clear that there was a real problem, um, you know, with what we saw, what was coming from uh, the East, which essentially ended up being a complete tidal wave. I think maybe some people would have thought, okay, you know, how long are we going to be in this for? What's going to happen and what will the impact be? But I don't make decisions lightly. So although it impacted me heavily and the way that I've structured the business and the way that we've set up, which is through an external trust, it meant that I was able to refund all of our clients in a very, very speedy fashion. And although I had to virtually pay back everything that we'd made in commissions, I could hit the reset button, which a lot of travel businesses weren't able to do because they're set up under slightly different financial structures. By uh, the end of March, heading into the beginning of April, everybody was refunded. And I thought, right, okay, what can I do now? We were in a a lockdown. Do I quit at this stage or or do I continue? And I thought, well, you know, I've I've never quit anything in my life. So I thought, right, okay, what can I do now? So that was when everybody went down the route of... uh, Moving on to Teams and to Zoom. So those first few months in lockdown, I probably joined at least one networking call every single day. I thought, okay, how can I stay relevant, continue to speak to people about the business, promote myself and the the brand, although it's still being in its infancy. And I did just that. So 
in the first year, so in summer 2020, when the travel corridor was first reopened, it was just a case of having to travel with masks at that point. There was no vaccine at site. So I thought, right, okay, if I'm going to continue to sell travel, I need to showcase that travel is safe. So I was actually back in the sky July 17th, which was about a week and a half after they allowed British tourism to reopen externally. And um, I went to Italy, which a lot of people said that, you know, I was crazy for because obviously they were one of the hardest hit countries. But for me, I thought, well, you know, they probably need our help the most. And I had an amazing stay in the Amalfi Coast mid-July 2020. It was beautiful. The locals, I think we were so appreciative of, uh, you know, tourism coming inbound. But strangely, most people would have thought that 2021 would have been an easier year than 2020, but it actually wasn't. Obviously, we went into the second lockdown in the autumn of 2020. That was around about the same time that I attracted investment through my now business partner. And it was what it was. You know, we kind of made it through at that stage and decided that we wanted to grow a team. But when the travel corridor opened again in the spring of 2021 and the traffic lights were implemented, it was even harder that year because we were reacting constantly to the government were, you know, changing the rules on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we'd maybe take a booking on a Tuesday to then find that that country had gone amber and the passengers would have to self-isolate when they got home. So there was a lot of amending, cancelling down, rebooking. And at one point, it almost felt like we were in Medicare because we'd have people ringing and saying, what can I do on this date? And can I go to this country? And do you have to be vaccinated? So it was it was incredibly difficult and it's sometimes frustrating. But yeah, we... It's we nuts, actually. I think I've got mm. PTSD just by you talking about the traffic light system and whether or not you need to self-isolate, mm. etc. Let's talk more about your partner and mm-hmm. how they came on. Mm-hmm. What was the process? Were you looking for investment at that time or... Was it a necessity? I will have always been because when, when I put a, a business plan together uh, prior to going live with the agency in 2019, my aim was to eventually grow a team, look at either a retail store initially or offices, and then further down the line, looking at international opportunities. And that's something that is still ongoing. I guess call it fate, <laughs> really. Uh, my business partner, Tom, who's serial entrepreneur, he's, uh, he owns multiple businesses. He actually initially was a client. And when we went into the first lockdown, you know, my activity on social media, for example, I think was very apparent. And we met up on a few occasions for, you know, drinks and, and catch ups. And I think he saw my work ethic and, you know, me kind of buckling down and, and carrying on. Come the autumn when just before we were going into the second lockdown, I mean, it, it did get to that point then where I thought, well, OK, this could be for months. I may have to maybe look at doing some form of consultancy work and, you know, potentially shelving for the time being and then uh, looking at going back into IT. But miraculously, we met one day, we had dinner and um, he just said, like, I've seen everything that you've done over the last couple of months. He also had a similar instance when he started his main business 20 years ago, which is in construction. And he started his business a year before the financial crash in 2008, which was directly linked to the housing market. So it was almost as if Mm. our journeys were paralleling one another with travel being the most affected industry. So he put an offer on the table and uh, we became business partners with a view of uh, growing the business to you know what it is now and beyond. And we've got a pretty 
good plan in place for the next three to five years in terms of growth. Where do you attribute value in your business? I mean, do you think of it as brand? Do you think of it as customer loyalty? Do you think of it as broader reach? How do you sort of knit together your value as a business? There are some key players in the luxury market. You know, I won't name names, but there's two companies in particular at the moment that have been trading since the 90s, I believe both of them. One may be a little bit younger and one's been sold for, I think, 53 million. Recently, this was in the press. We're still in our infancy, so to speak. But in terms of the value, I mean, I've managed even in four years to quadruple the turnover. In fact, it's probably closer to maybe times eight, actually, in terms of what I did in the in the first year and, you know, bringing in the team that I have. For me, you know, I would like to eventually look at rivaling those tier one companies, but it's numerous factors. The brand, because I think, you know, brand awareness now, particularly as living in a, a world of marketing being so led by social media, as an example, I mean, going back to October last year, I believe for the first time that social media actually had overtaken editorial marketing and we are incredibly savvy on social media. It's, it's actually how we've managed to break the American market. We've worked with social media influencers that are handpicked. So we've now got a client base that is growing in uh, locations such as LA, Miami, Kansas, New York. And we just wouldn't have had that without the power of social media. So who deals with that? Do you have a sort of social media advisor or how do you know how to target and who to target? So we have a wider team, but initially, as I say, for the first year, it was just myself until I brought Tom in at the back end of 2020. So it was actually just over 18 months, 20 months, let's say, that I ran the business. So it was just me and it was another gap that I'd saw in terms of obviously the, the way that we could market the business and generate that growth through social media platforms, more specifically Instagram. It's, we do really well. But I reached out to people that I liked, some of which are celebrities or influencers just on a specific platform, let's say, and managed to entice several to start using us for our services. Presumably um, for a said influencer, mm, it's not a bad deal. It's not a bad gig mm, teaming up with a luxury mm, travel organisation. Exactly. Um, given what you might be able to offer them. Mm. Do you get a sense, and this is a hard question, so don't feel like you need to answer it accurately, but do you get a sense of the return on investor capital when you do a sort of social media campaign? Mm. Do you get any data on that? Yes. And to be honest with you, the vast majority of the services that we've offered social media influencers or, you know, social media influencers that are considered to be celebrities, 9.5 times out of that, they have paid for our services and they've shouted us out off the back of the actual service that we've offered. We have and we are continually looking at doing what we call a trifecta collaboration between ourselves, the travel agency, along with a travel brand. So that could be a hotel chain and then a specific influence. So that's something that we also do whereby, you know, an element of services would be offered complementary for the influencers to then obviously promote both sides of the business. But everything that we've done mostly to date has been where they've actually paid for our services and they've promoted us based on the service that we've offered, which is fabulous. And as we look to the future, mm. what in your mind does the future hold for the business? And, you know, where perhaps asked a different way, 
Where would you like to see the business in five years' time? Of course. So, I mean, just to kind of give you a guide in terms of where we are at the moment. So, we've got five staff members, but we do outsource for certain elements of services such as HR. Our social media is outsourced. So, we do have a company that's external to the business that they take care of the social media now, but with my guidance and also with uh, marketing things such as SEO. Google search, et cetera, that's taken care of externally. Ideally, I'd like to bring in a couple of extra people full-time employed by the end of this year to take that to six, maybe seven. But we are also looking at starting our own affiliate scheme through the business. So it's not a franchise as such. Ideally, what we're looking to do is to bring in what we'd hope to be some of the best of the best independent travel consultants who are self-employed and they would essentially sell under the Wanderlux umbrella. How that would basically work is that they would have all of our resources and marketing. They can then sell to their client base and we would then split the commissions. It's something that's growing in popularity within the travel sector now because essentially it's not really a cost to the business to bring somebody that is in as self-employed. They take care of their own tax and national insurance and then you're essentially splitting the commissions that are coming in from the resulting sales. I suppose it goes back to that question on value Mm. in the sense that, you know, I suppose if you roll out a a sort of franchise model, your value really sits in the brand and the sort of infrastructure. Mm. And so I guess, not wanting to put any words in your mouth, but presumably every sort of pound that you reinvest in the business, Mm. quite a lot needs to go into that building that brand, um, reaching out to people, associating yourself with the right people. Mm. I wonder what are the other costs? Are there any sort of hidden costs that have surprised you as you've run the business? Obviously, all of the staff that we have in-house at the moment are full-time employed. So, you know, we we recognise that, you know, we have to pay people handsomely to get a good standard of consultant. But marketing is huge because you have to speculate to accumulate, don't you? The money that we spend on marketing and, you know, we've gone through various channels, you know, media, tabloid features. We also have our own editorial piece, which we went live with last year. So we have our own magazine, which is called Divine Destinations. We've uh, done a one edition so far, and we're hoping to do a second edition this year. So it's a, a lovely read, really a high-end editorial magazine, which offers lots of travel mm-hmm. and uh, destination inspiration. We have invested a lot of money, a few lessons learned last year in terms of, you know, what amount of money we're putting into what avenues. But I think until you try something, you won't be able to get a full feel for whether it's either been a blessing or a lesson. But going into this year, we've pretty much hopefully got it nailed now and we're maximising a lot more with um, social ads, SEO, Google search, keywords, that type of thing. And Sheena, my final question Mm -hmm. I ask this to everyone. What advice would you give to our younger listeners who are perhaps thinking about pursuing something Mm. entrepreneurial and what skills do you think they need to equip themselves with to Mm. be successful? I think resilience. It's funny, I think from the outside in before, do I consider myself to be an entrepreneur? Before I started the business, everybody has an idea in terms of the road to success. And in most instances, a lot of people have the perception that it's far easier than it actually is. And there's no straight line. So I would say resilience, tenacity, have the never give up attitude because, you know, there are times where you'll have a, a good day and a bad day and it's it's such a mix. But 
have a, a firm and solid business plan in place in terms of what you want to do. I would recommend putting something in place for a 12-month plan, maybe three years and then five years, dependent on obviously, you know, the diversity of the business and what exactly you want to achieve and have that end goal, whether it be an exit strategy or, you know, whether you want to go the sky being the limit in terms of how far you want to take your business. But most importantly is not assuming or thinking that you can do everything yourself when you start out you have to you know you're spinning plates and probably doing the equivalent to six people's jobs but I'm a firm believer if um, you don't need help then your dreams just are not big enough resilience and delegation I Mm, think is probably what I would take from that Sheena Sumner thank you for joining me thank you very much thank you thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me Doug Barnett portfolio manager at Waverton and our guest this week, Sheena Sumner, the founder of Wonderlux Travel. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed the series, why not like us, subscribe and let your friends and colleagues know. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.